There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. In three of the four Gospels, we find the account of the Last Supper, which was actually the celebration of the Passover feast, where Jesus had some final instructions for his disciples, including the institution of the communion ritual. Those exact chapters and verses are Matthew 26, verses 17 through 29, Mark 14, verses 12 through 25, Luke 22, verses 7 through 20, and also in Paul's writings to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, he recounts what took place at the Last Supper. Now, let me read from the Matthew account. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And then he prophesied and said, But I say unto you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, in Luke's account, there is a phrase, a very important phrase that is included. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. And here is the important phrase, Do this in remembrance of me. Now, how to interpret this has been a matter of great controversy. Let's start, though, by focusing on the Catholic beliefs surrounding this commandment of the Lord, because this was not a suggestion. This was a commandment to participate in the communion ritual. Attending Mass for a Catholic is without question the high point of the week. The focal point of every Mass is that mystical moment when the priest lifts up the host and the chalice and the bread and wine are said to be changed into the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus, literally. Yes, I did say literally. Catholics believe in something called transubstantiation, and the word trans means change, and substantiation means substance, so there is a change in substance. Let me quote from a website, catholic.com, and an article called Transubstantiation for Beginners. When the priest at Mass obeying Christ speaks the words of consecration, a change takes place. The substance of bread and the substance of wine are changed by God's power into the substance of Christ's body and the substance of his blood. The change is entire. Nothing of the substance of bread remains 
nothing of the substance of wine. Neither is annihilated. Both are simply changed. Now that's the first of four ways that communion is interpreted. And that is the Roman Catholic interpretation of transubstantiation. Now, Martin Luther introduced a different idea that has since been termed consubstantiation. And that means that the elements do not change into the presence of Christ, like the Roman Catholic view, but that he, the Lord Jesus, is actually present in, with, and under the elements. There the word with is because consubstantiation means with the substance. It's not changed into that substance, but his presence is with the bread and the wine. That is the Lutheran view, and it can be represented by an analogy of a sponge containing water. The sponge is not the water. The water is not the sponge, but the sponge contains the water, and it's all in one location. And in like manner, that view is that the presence of Jesus ministering grace to believers, grace unto salvation is right there in the elements. Now, the third view is the Reformed or Presbyterian view that Christ is not literally present in the elements, but he is present spiritually there when the ceremony is taking place and gracing his people as they participate. Now, the Zwingli view, that's Ulrich Zwingli, who was a Swiss reformer, was that Christ is not present in the elements, either literally or spiritually, that the Lord's Supper is just a memorial ceremony through which our faith is or can be strengthened. I believe that last, that fourth of the four different views concerning communion. I believe it is symbolic, and I will enhance that statement in just a little bit. But first, let me go way back in time. I was raised Catholic. I participated in Mass hundreds of times. I was an altar boy serving the priest as this holy ritual took place. And yet now I can look back realizing that the Bible never taught that it had to be a priest who officiated the ceremony who was a part of a selective priesthood that was apart from the laity. In fact, the Bible teaches, and I now recognize it, that we are all priests of God. And the word priest simply means one who has access into the presence of God. 1 Peter 2.5 says we are a holy priesthood. That's all believers. And 1 Peter 2.9 says we are a royal priesthood. And that's all believers. And so there's no teaching in the Bible that an exclusive group of people have been set aside who alone have the authority for this transformational ceremony to take place. And I think that's important to see. This is even more important, though. In all those years of serving Mass, I never, may I underscore that word, never, had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus. I was not saved. I was not born again. I had never had this spiritual rebirth that comes when you invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. 
So something very important was missing. If communion, if the ritual is the main and ultimate means by which grace flows unto salvation into the life of a believer, there was a serious malfunction somewhere because I participated in the ritual hundreds of times, yet I did not have the reality. I had the ritual, not the reality. I was partaking of the symbol, but I did not have the thing symbolized. I had the shadow, but I knew nothing of the substance. Unfortunately, millions of people are in the same spiritual predicament. Now, let me take you to John chapter 6. That's a chapter where Jesus made some very powerful statements that integrate into the whole idea of what communion is about. This was right after he had multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And he said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Those are powerful words. Then he followed it up with this statement, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. There is the key to the interpretation of the whole matter. He said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will abide in me. You will have a personal relationship with me. I will be the head of your life and you'll be a part of the body of Christ and I will abide in you. Unfortunately, again, all the years I served as an altar boy, I never had that experience of the Lord Jesus coming to dwell within my heart. Now, there's also another additional feature to this whole discussion that is revealed in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, the implication in this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, is that the ritual of communion is not to be confined to a service one day a week 
at a congregational center, but he said, as often as you drink this cup, as often as you partake of a cup of grape juice or a cup of wine, he said, do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. I believe that in the early church, whenever they came together for a meal, quite often they would celebrate communion among themselves, and there did not have to be an officiating priest. But I believe there's a higher interpretation of this altogether. Let me explain what Jesus meant, I believe, when he said, my flesh is meat indeed, or food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Jesus was the word made flesh. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So if he was the word made flesh, that means that he was the embodiment of the word of God. The entirety of the word from Genesis to Revelation manifested in that flesh form that was inside of the womb of Mary. And when he offered up his body on the cross and we identify with his crucifixion as the means of our salvation, To eat of his flesh means to eat the word, to digest the word into our lives where every promise and every commandment is an essential part of who we are and why we're alive. That is true communion or union. And notice the word union is part of the word communion. When we come into oneness with the word of God where it dominates our actions, our words, our thoughts, our emotions, then we're truly eating his flesh because we are word-ruled people. Also in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Let me repeat that. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So when Jesus said, you've got to drink my blood, And if you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have life in you. Well, he was talking about drinking in his spirit because the Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of life in Romans chapter 8. And the spirit is in the blood. The word is in the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to drink his blood is to drink in the life of God, the life-giving spirit of God. This is what communion is all about. This is what salvation is all about. When I was born again, when I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life at the age of 19, he came into my heart. And the life of God came in me. I was begotten of the word, according to James chapter 1. And I was born of the spirit, according to John chapter 3. And that dual experience of the word and the spirit caused me to come into the kingdom of God. Because Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter. He cannot understand the kingdom of God. Now, where do we get this word communion? Because I need to bring this thought in. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, 
where Paul said, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And the word translated communion there is koinonia, and it means fellowship, becoming one with. And so to drink something or to eat something uh, is such a powerful symbol. Because what you eat, what you drink goes down into your stomach and the digestive juices break it into the different nutrients that your body needs. And then the blood distributes those nutrients to every cell in the body so that what you eat loses its identity and becomes you. There's an old saying that you are what you eat because through that process, it loses its identity and blends in with you. Well, in a similar way, and yet a very marked different way, Jesus, when we partake of him, doesn't lose his identity, but his identity merges with our identity, and we become Christians. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we take him into our lives, into our hearts, and we become Christians. We experience kononia, we experience communion and fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, fellowship through the Word of God. We are made new creatures, new creations in Christ Jesus. The picture being painted over and over is that we are all partaking of the same bread and the same wine. And so this is not an isolated individual experience. We are part of the body of Christ. And just like all the cells in a human body partake of the nutrients that come through the bloodstream, and it is an equal inheritance, if you will. In like manner, we are all equally saved by the blood, all equally infused by the Spirit of God, if we are truly a part of the authentic, church of the new covenant, and that is transdenominational. There are truly born-again saved people in every imaginable church, in the Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Baptist Church, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, and many other churches I could mention, Pentecostal, Church of God, Assembly of God. There are genuinely born-again people. Unfortunately, though, there is a large number of adherents to these denominational organizations who have not yet experienced the very essence of what the communion ritual they participate in represents. And I would urge you, if you don't think that's ever happened to you, if you don't think you've ever truly been saved, then go beyond ritual. The Mass that I participated in as a Catholic was so rigid. It was so easy to anticipate every move because you had it right in front of you, written out when to sit, when to stand, when to kneel, what prayer to say. The priest would say, the Lord be with you, and our response as the congregation was always, and with your spirit. Now, we were very sincere, and there are many Catholics and people of other denominations who are passionately sincere, but we were bound by a ritualistic ceremony that kept us locked into doing the same thing the same way over and over again. I have since learned 
that a true worship service is very spontaneous. It is intense. It is emotional. You pour out your heart to God in inspired worship, not something you read off a piece of paper, but something that flows out of your heart like a river of living water. It's very animated. It's very exciting to be in a true worship service that connects the adherents, the believers, with the God that they are worshiping, where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in the room and you experience a taste of heaven on earth. Now, that's what communion is all about. It's not the dryness of the ritual, but the life of the reality that you need. And that is what Jesus came to bring. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.